This podcast is sponsored by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. GoMoto now has three new kiosks that allow customers to check in online and in-store, drop off and pick up keys, and interact in both English and Spanish. Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, September 15th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kevin Walker. Once again, you're joining us today from the floor of the North American International Detroit Auto Show. Today is an industry tech day at the auto show, day when engineers, industry leaders, and other professionals get a peek at the show floor and all the innovations on display here. Today on the show, Ford's new pony car is out of the gate. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg hypes up EVs here in Detroit, and the industry breathes a sigh of relief as rail companies avert a strike. Plus, we'll hear from Tyson Jomini, Vice President of Data and Analytics with J.D. Power, about the benefits and drawbacks of the new EV tax credits in the Inflation Reduction Act. We haven't added anything uh, really to the, the EV adoption, which is should be the goal first. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The big reveal of this year's auto show is in the books and it galloped onto the scene. Please welcome the all new Ford Mustang. Ford's seventh generation pony car is sticking with the V8 power that made it a global icon. That's even as the segment it created shifts it around. Some of the biggest changes in the 2024 Mustang are with the interior, which now offers an optional digital cockpit with two connected customizable screens. An electronic drift brake is among the available upgrades, but the biggest news may be what Ford is still putting under the hood. Updated versions of the current model's 2.3 liter EcoBoost four cylinder and five liter Coyote V8 with a manual transmission. Ford Executive Chair Bill Ford Jr. told the crowd in Detroit's Hart Plaza that the automaker will return to the 24-hour Le Mans race in France with the new Mustang. Tonight I'm announcing that we're going to go back to Le Mans again with this Mustang, and once again, we're going to go like hell. This is likely to be the last gasoline-powered Mustang design. Model sales in the U.S. are down 14% this year through August to just over 33,000 vehicles. While Ford is still putting out new gasoline-powered muscle cars, U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg touted the rise of EVs here at the Detroit Auto Show. He told the crowd that there are still some big hurdles ahead of electrification, but that the Biden administration is working to help the industry overcome those challenges. You're going to be leading the way, but we are standing with you with this administration, especially as the automotive industry goes electric. Something that is going to happen, but three things are not guaranteed. Will it happen quickly enough to help us beat climate change? Will it be affordable enough that every American can benefit in an equitable way? And is it going to be a made in America EV revolution? We are partnering with you to make sure the answer to each one of those three questions is a resounding hell yes. Buttigieg also touted the president's signing of the CHIPS Act and Inflation Reduction Act. The transportation secretary didn't have anything to say in Detroit about the high stakes labor negotiations with railroad workers, but it was surely on his mind as it has been for automakers. But then 
U.S. railroad companies and unions representing more than 100,000 workers reached a tentative agreement early this morning, the government said. The breakthrough looks to avert a labor disruption that risked adding supply chain strains to the world's largest economy. A strike would have created major logistical problems for car shipments and auto parts suppliers. In a statement early today, the Labor Department called it a hard-fought, mutually beneficial deal. Just hours after the rail union agreement was reached, one of the auto industry's most accomplished labor negotiators was named CEO of a major rail operator. CSX Corp on Thursday announced that former Ford Motor Co. President Joe Henrik will be its new CEO effective September 26. Henrik, who left Ford in 2020, succeeds CEO James Foote, who will retire this month but will remain a company advisor through March 31, 2023. Henrik said CSX has a very strong balance sheet and a very strong operating performance, and he aims to improve the company's service to its customers. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, the unveiling of the Ford Mustang. What did you think last night? You know, I wasn't as close to it as you were, uh, but it looks nice. Uh, of course, there's an amazing amount of enthusiasm. This is a car, you know, to call it an icon is uh, to understate the importance of this vehicle in American culture. It has so many fans of so many generations, and they really turned out for this reveal. But you were right up close. What was that like? It was electric. It was it was insane because this was actually my first big car reveal that I've ever been to. And the moment the Dark Horse came out, because I saw the, the GT, the convertible GT, and of course the, uh, the Eco, the eco-friendly version, as I yeah. like to call it. But when that Dark Horse came out, I was like, this is a game changer. Beautiful piece of machinery, and I can't wait till it comes out and it hits the road. I almost want one myself. Of course you do. <laughs> Coming up, we'll talk with J.D. Power's VP of Data and Analytics about the new EV tax credits and whether they'll help or hurt electric vehicle adoption. That's next on Daily Drive. Picture your service drive on a busy morning. There's a line of customers waiting to drop off their keys and check in at the counter. Every advisor is busy with simple tasks. Two are typing customer concerns into the computer to get a repair order created. Two are trying to find an appointment the customer swears they created online. And another is looking for a customer's keys who didn't come in to pick up their vehicle the night before. It's a chaotic and unproductive scene, and you know you're probably losing money by not offering standard upsells with every write-up and frustrating customers with long wait times. Now imagine that same morning, but with customers checking in themselves in about two minutes. Your advisors are still busy, but they are busy selling. There are no more lines, no more wasted time, and no more frustration. GoMoto kiosks free up your advisors to focus on high-impact, customer-facing, profit-oriented work that improves and speeds up the process. And with three new kiosks, online check-in, and Spanish language support, you can now serve more customers in more ways with a process that fits their needs. Visit GoMoto.com, that's G-O-M-O-T-O.com, to explore all the ways kiosks can increase profit, efficiency, and overall operations in your service drive. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. There's a lot of talk here at the Detroit Auto Show about the adoption of EVs. We heard earlier in the show what Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg was saying to the crowd here about the electric revolution. He also touted President Biden's signing of the Inflation Reduction Act, 
as a way to help speed up adoption of electric vehicles. But some analysts say the new law is a mixed bag at best. I spoke with Tyson Jomini, Vice President of Data and Analytics with J.D. Power, here on the floor of the Auto Show. Here's our conversation. Tyson Jomini, welcome back to Daily Drive, and welcome back to the Detroit Auto Show. Thanks, Jamie. So glad to have you here. You know, uh, yesterday, President Biden was here uh, talking about EV chargers and uh, investment along interstates, kind of re-announcing portions of uh, the uh, infrastructure bill. We already knew this was going to be an element of it, but it's nice to let people know there's progress being made. Uh, we've both been, do you have any thoughts on, on the, the highway charging plans that he announced yesterday? No, I, I think it's great. I think infrastructure remains one of the top concerns for EV intenders. And so addressing that in any way, especially with big public announcements that most people will hear about uh, is fantastic. It does help uh, in a world where people are very concerned about the lack of that, letting them know there's work going on, that, that makes a big difference. But oh, the other big difference, right, is the new EV tax credit system under this Inflation Reduction Act. Um, I know you've been looking into it. There are a lot there are a lot of puts and takes in it. Do, overall, do you feel like it's is it really going to encourage EV adoption or does it almost discourage it? Uh, by our estimate, it's probably going to discourage it slightly. Uh, but there are two really outstanding features of it. One, there is no cap now on manufacturer sales. So if you're GM and Tesla on January 1st, you're added back into the credits where you don't have it today. And if you're Toyota, Ford, Nissan, who are all about to hit the limit, well, now you know that you're locked in and you can bring over all your EVs to the US. So that's a fantastic addition. Uh, the second good one uh, is that it's going to be in, in 2024 at point of sale. So you no longer have to file your taxes or get a lease just to get the amount. Uh, so if you're a uh, like a fixed income consumer, if you're retired, um, you may not even have $7,500 of tax to offset. Well, now you're going to get it at point of sale, and that should also help clear up a lot of confusion. Well, clear some up and add some others. Uh, you know, they, it takes away the cap, but not for all of the EVs. Of course, the expensive ones uh, won't be covered. And uh, the price limit is 80000 for an SUV and fifty five for a sedan, yeah. which sounds like a lot of room, but in this market isn't a whole lot of uh, headroom, certainly excludes a lot of the really popular uh, SUV or EVs that are on the market now, the Hummer, the Tesla S and X and yeah. all that. But Yeah, I mean, most of the Tesla lineup will be excluded. I mean, Model 3, the number one selling EV of all time, uh, over half of those will be over the $55,000 cap. Uh, most of Model Y though will be there. So now Model Y will be the top selling EV in this country. It kind of goes back and forth with Model 3 right now, but now no no question. Uh, and, and that also gets to, we're gonna really see a change in what what's out there. I mean, if there's a $55,000 sedan cap, we're just gonna see a lot of SUVs taking advantage of that much higher cap. And whether that's just a vehicle adding an extra couple, two inches of ground clearance, and it, you know, we're gonna see that transition as well. Well, and it's funny to me, I was like, when I first saw it and it said SUVs and it said sedans, I'm like, okay, but what about the like 40, 50% of the market that are crossovers? And they count them all as SUVs, at least if they're using the same as the, the EPA, right? It right. basically says if it, if it doesn't look like a sedan and it doesn't look like a coupe, then it's an SUV. Right. Even though, I mean, a model, an ID4, uh, <laughs> a Model Y, I mean, all of these, they're, they're small wagons. 
Right, right. And a lot of what we see here on the on the show floor today, I mean, you know, vehicles like the Blazer and uh, like the uh, Ionic 5 and, and even the, the Kia EV6, they're they're swoopy, they're they're rakish. They don't really look like SUVs are really like wagons. And especially, you know, you talk about the Chevy Equinox as well uh, being very wagon like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's shorter and wider than a regular Equinox, the gas burning Equinox and uh, definitely seems more like a wagon. But that's that is the way the rules are played. What was your second point? Because there's also an asterisk on that one. Uh, you said the second really good thing. Well, that was the availability at point of sale. At point of sale, right? And I'm I'm going to be really curious how that actually works, right? Um, is it going to be? You know, what is the mechanism going to be? I don't know if there's going to be a pre-authorization through the IRS that you can show up at the dealership with your virtual check. You know, yeah. I, I I would think. That the federal government, while the FTC is really trying to crack down on dealer behavior, isn't going to let the dealers say decide if somebody's uh, income and uh, vehicle price, you know, meets the requirements. Yeah, I, and we've got about fifteen months to clarify. Um, I don't think it's going to be as something like you know this coupon good for one tax refund uh, with your you know when you file each year. I don't think it'll be like that. Uh, but we we do have about fifteen months to to figure that part of it out. Okay. Uh, no predictions though on what it's going to be like. Well, I mean, you know, in general, um, when you look at all the, the various uh, uh, caps and, and requirements for vehicles, um, this bill is trying to accomplish a lot. You know, we go all the way back to, to 2009 and 10 when we launched the original bill. President Obama said it basically had one goal, you know, EV adoption. That was it. Uh, now we're trying to change the supply chain. We're trying to change where vehicles are assembled. We're putting MSRP caps. We're putting income caps. Uh, and so when you start to layer on all of the restrictions uh, on, on the funds, we end up more or less with the same number of vehicles eligible today. If the rules were applied here in, in, in the past 12 months, we would have sold the same number of basically EVs. Um, so we, we haven't added anything uh, really to the, the EV adoption, which is should be the goal first. So, well, it depends on, you know, of course, who's writing the rules and uh, all of these uh Extra conditions were really placed on by Joe Manchin. Uh, I think it looked like, you know, Schumer and Biden wanted anything they could call an EV tax extension or an expansion of the credit. And Manchin put the five big rules on it, (laughs) the five big limitations, because I think to and he had said before, right, why are we subsidizing these vehicles in the first place? If they if nobody qualifies, he doesn't care. (laughs) <laughs> but this was these were the conditions and it, and it is an inconsistent process but right that's uh, the law the legislative process right yeah, no you're you're exactly right um, you know I'm a, I'm a sales and pricing analyst and um, I, I just measure things how well they affect sales and price and in this case you know if you, if you want to accomplish one thing and then you you apply a bunch of layers to it you're not going to get the exact right output that, that you want in this case you know I want more EVs sold. Sometimes a, a narrower target hit more precisely, you're saying, would be more effective than trying to achieve all yeah. things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, the other, there's so many other elements <laughs> I want to address, but uh, you had mentioned a company that I find intriguing, uh, and intriguing is one of the more polite terms I have uh, for VinFast and their model and uh, what they've shown, but because I feel like it's overly complicated and uh, they keep changing their story. But on the basic idea, whether it's VinFast or it's anyone else, if somebody wants to structure a vehicle sale or a vehicle lease in a way that, say, doesn't include the battery or makes them separate transactions, 
Do you have any thoughts on how, how might something like that fit in the new EV tax scheme? Yeah, well, if you have a, an $80,000 SUV cap, we may see automakers go right up to that cap and then stop. And the vehicle may have a sunroof. It may have heated seats. It may have, you know, uh, advanced driving assist systems, none of which are active because $80,000, it caps out. And the way you activate them is these microtransaction post-sale um, subscriptions, right? A subscription to a sunroof, a subscription to extended range on your EV, a subscription to faster acceleration. And all of that would, would push a vehicle price kind of beyond 80K, but it still would qualify for the, the tax credit because it stopped at 80K and you're doing this all post-sale. Mm -hmm. um, and so even though I haven't been a big fan of this microtransaction idea, all of a sudden it's like, well, it makes sense if, if we have this cap. There's a way, the, the old auto industry wouldn't have thought of it I'm not saying anyone is going to, but the new auto industry would look at that and say, wait a minute, there is a way. Yeah. And, and again, that's funny because I, I too was very skeptical about this uh, subscription, the, the models they have and the projections that a lot of automakers have made. But if Joe Manchin is sort of de facto giving them a four to $7,500 or so, 4000 to $7,500 um, leeway, you know, to, to get into consumers budgets, that's pretty, that could be pretty compelling. Yeah, I mean, we may even see, you know, dare I say, like you buy a car with the minimal battery and mm -hmm. then you do lease the extra battery capacity after the sale. I mean, there's a whole lot of things we can do now that we can do over the air updates. Um, now that the, the technology platform in our vehicles is so advanced that we can make these changes. I don't think we've seen yet how we're going to tackle it, uh, but there's a lot on the table that we can do. When you look at the data and you look at eligibility, I mean, it seems to uh, I, my my sense at this point is the few vehicles that will really qualify at first next year, uh, when the sourcing requirements start initially kick in at their lowest levels, the few that will qualify will really be at that lower level. They might get they make their components locally, like Tesla makes their batteries at uh, the original Gigafactory. Um, are most of them going to be the the half credit, the thirty seven fifty? And is there anybody? even close to $7,500 credit? Uh, we haven't heard of too many that may be close to the $7,500. Uh, so we are really expecting 3750 to be the new incentive going forward. Um, that seems to be the one that most will be able to qualify for. I mean, we have to remember initially, vehicles have to be assembled in the United States or North America rather, for anything to even qualify for the 3750. And we saw right off the top, uh, vehicles like Ionic 5 and, and EV6 being thrown out immediately. And Polestar and uh, a lot of other European brands, as well as the, the Asian brands. The Toyota's only EV, if they were legally allowed to sell it, um, would not qualify anymore either. <laughs> right. And that, that all happened immediately, like out yeah. of the gate. So you, first we have to get through that hurdle. Uh, but we do expect 3750 to be the new sort of uh, benchmark going forward. If you can get that, you're doing well. If you can get the 7500, that's going to take a lot of, of extra work. You know, I mean, looking at, uh, oh shoot, I thought I had it here on my laptop, but uh, I think it's gone now. The uh, the map, and you think about where uh, the battery plants that are being built, right? And I think GM has one coming online in uh, this supposedly this year, right? There are a couple of the first Ultium plants should start producing vehicles this year. Do you think, I mean, can GM qualify with some of their vehicles right out of the gate? Will they have enough domestic production maybe? They, they most likely will. Um, however, the, the mineral sourcing, of course, is the, the next hurdle for yeah. the, the additional 3750. And who's going to get that? 
I'm not qualified to say. I don't feel very confident, though, that it's going to be a lot. Uh, right. But I don't, I don't really see GM as having a problem with that first 3750. The first 3750. And, and like you said, that's really what we should, most consumers should be expecting, probably most dealers and everyone else as they, as they try to figure out their pricing and uh, approach. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, uh, we're just about out of time, but I did want to touch a little more on the Equinox EV uh, before we go, because that not not revealed here at the auto show, but certainly one of the most uh, interesting displays or one of the, the most interesting vehicles people are most interested in. Um, where do you see that playing out in sales over the next year or two? How many do you do you have projections for how many they'll make and what the actual average transaction price might be? Uh, while I can't comment on, on our predictions for an individual model like gotcha. that, I can give you my impression of the vehicle. Okay. Um, and this is the first time I've seen it live. Um, and it, it is sharp looking. It's got some great features. Uh, and the interior is top notch. The idea, though, that it's an EV that starts at 30 right now uh, is pretty amazing. Uh, when we look around the showroom floor here, there's a few vehicles that are very significant. Some right in front of us, like the F-150 Lightning very significant vehicle. I think Equinox has the potential to be as significant as F-150 uh, and do amazing things for GM and to you know push EVs forward in the U.S. Tyson Jomini, Vice President of Data and Analytics at J.D. Power. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Jamie. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on electrification, new product reveals, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about the key trends among specific F&I products so far in 2022. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.